Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus. Brendan here with Mark, episode 298. Mark, 298, getting close. Thursday, June the 8th, 2023. Hello to all our new listeners and subscribers and an, an extra special hello to our old listeners and young listeners who are subscribers. Mark, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, Brendan. I'm great and, and I do, I like to... I, I, it's a, fun, a funny thing about the podcast, how we talk to each other and sometimes it slips out of my mind, all the wonderful people who listen to us. And, um, and yeah, when I think about them, young, old, long-standing, brand spanking new, it's a welcome to all of them. Yes, our friends, our friends. And vetgurus.com, the place to go. Send us an email, say hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself or the practice you work at vetgurus at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you we reply to all our emails even if you may not get a shout out on air we certainly reply to them all and we um we love it we love it mark um now i'm just back from a little trip mark a bit of a flying trip (laughs) so to speak a very quick trip to adelaide in south australia mark for the australian veterinary association annual conference mark which was last week and how did it go brendan it would have been it would have been well, i know it was a fleeting visit i know that you weren't able to like we go to con- conferences regularly and add a couple of days either side have a little photo expedition but you this was not possible this was a fleeting power trip how did it go this was Mainly for a bit of a meeting there with the conference committee, uh, and but I had a, a full day looking around the conference and catching up with trade and and some friends, new and old, Mark, and a couple of half days as well. So it was um, yeah, really enjoyed it. It was just good again to get back to catching up with a few people I hadn't seen for a long time. A couple of our sponsors were there, Mark, with um, with um, a booth or two, and that is Chemical Essentials, Andrew was there and Doug from Microchips Australia. So that was fantastic. In fact, the first night I arrived in, oh, long story, but I arrived in the afternoon after a bit of a stuff up with my flights and trying to change my flights and I did manage to change the flights and then I got to the airport and the booking company that had made the flights for me through um, the um, corporate place that um booked them for me, um, changed them back again to another time. So I arrived at the airport um, just before midday for, a, I think, a one o'clock flight and they'd put me back on the 4.30 or 4 p.m. flight. Oh, no. So I spent a bit of time at the service desk there, Virgin Australia it was. I flew um, down to Adelaide and then back with Qantas, so two different carriers and uh, they couldn't do much because it was a corporate booking, so they had to... I had to try and get onto my contacts there and then they contacted the help desk and um, it was sorted in the end and I managed to get the flight that I that I had originally changed it to. So so it was a bit of fun and it was um, just happened to be timed in the same week and right in the middle of the conference 
days, it was a big rugby match, Mark, the State of Origin rugby match, which was um, in Australia, it was two states against each other. They do a, 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 um, a three three matches, don't they, Mark? It's Queens, Queensland versus New South Wales, not that I'm into rugby. And it just happened to be in South Australia in Adelaide and uh, I could virtually see the stadium from my hotel and so most of the, unfortunately, most of the hotels were then, although I'd been booked um, a long time ago for the room in my hotel, had, were booked out and the prices have been cranked sky high <laughs> um, for people, you know, $250 plus for a night for one person um, in some of the hotels. And, yeah, lots of people wandering around um, going to the rugby. Um, you could tell them pretty easily, mate, no, no lack of necks. Um <laughs> And um, lots of scars and cauliflower ears, Mark, um, were all the ex-rugby players. But um, So that was interesting. But the actual conference, getting back to that, yeah, good fun. Um, did go to a couple of talks. Um, one's related to my main news story, Mark, so I'll, um, I'll talk about that um, during my news story. Um, and, uh, yeah, popped in, I popped into a dentistry, a small animal dentistry. Um, presentation by a Canadian dental veterinarian, which was quite good. It was a, a one-hour summary of just general extractions, um, and it was very well done, very very enjoyable. We just sort of went over the techniques of using the instruments, a very good refresher course for everybody, or um, for those like me who needed more than just a refresher for it, um, realising that I'm not extracting those teeth correctly. Um, so that was excellent. And uh, it is, isn't it one of the wonderful things about our conferences, particularly the national conference, um, is the cross fertilization. Like, I love going to our UPAV streams and I love our conference, but um, getting out and having a, a listen to the state of play in small animal medicine or dentistry or behavior, uh, all these, these other areas. Um, they they still have aspects of them that are useful to, even if we don't see those animals, um, we we can apply some of the information to the stuff we do. So yeah, it's all that that cross fertilization. Yes, a useful thing. It is, and it um, and it, you always get back from a conference thinking, one, I'm tired from overdoing things, but also to I'm feeling a bit refreshed mentally um to get back into things that was good went to a couple of breakfast sessions mark and they're always good one because you get a full cooked breakfast thrown in um, by the company that sponsors the breakfast session that's a, that's a, that's the most positive bit but also some interesting um, um sessions there one was on insurance mark from from one of our the main insur insurers here um veterinary professional indemnity insurers and those it was basically a round table and q a from the audience was, i found that one fascinating there was a, a really interesting comment from a member of the um, audience there mark saying um, is somebody covered in your practice if you do an after hours call and you bring along your partner or your wife or your husband and or a family member to help you you know it might be a in a country practice for instance and there's a um you have to go out and help open the gates you know to get to the 
sheep or the cattle or whatever and help hold the cattle or cow or the sheep or whatever or or even help him with the caesarean you know um after hours um and being the you know the the kennel assistant and the 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 pretend anaesthetist and it's a very good question because you know they um so using somebody is not a qualified veterinary technician nurse slash veterinarian um so just a, a literally a know a sibling or a family member your partner um to help out what happens if that cow kicks them or the dog bites them you know are you covered under your professional indemnity insurance it's a complicated question what did they say brennan well the bottom line is and i think it makes sense is you know just most of no they wouldn't be if they're not on on a member of staff so you need to sort of have them on staff you know um, even if they're just on staff as Know, the bookkeeper or something like that, I suppose. Um, yeah. Then, then they're covered under the practice um, as a practice manager or whatever. Um, you know, even though they're not technically working there day to day, but if they're they're on the payroll and and they're on the on the system, then then you probably are covered. But but excellent question because gee, how many people do you know grab a friend um, and take them along yeah. especially to an after hours call and especially in in small country practices um it, it would be probably 100 percent of you know of those people have done that at some time where they've grabbed a, a colleague um that happens to be a non-veterinarian non, non-technician nurse um to help them with a the case yeah and if something goes wrong are they covered yeah so yeah quite interesting enjoyed that um looked around the trade um had a good time there some lots of good instruments and bits and pieces there mark and i was chatting to one of my nurses when i get back saying that you know they have all those competitions they have a passport competition every year at our conference as you know mark with typically it's a, an actual part you know a little um, paper passport where you have to visit at least two or three of the exhibitors on each page to qualify um so it ends up taking a long period of time but they've tried to go paperless mark so oh wow was, in, interestingly there was um everything was on an app um there was no um physical passport there you would scan a qr code at each of the trade exhibitors and that would enter you into whatever prize that exhibitor was giving away that day or that week and also, no satchels, Mark, no conference satchels and proceedings. Um, Jeez. So they went completely paperless, which, which some people complain about. But, um, yeah, so I was complaining that I, you know, I entered all these competitions for these things that I thought would be fun, a little Nintendo Switch, um, you know, computer, um, an iPad. Um, there was all sorts of stuff going there. And um, I was annoyed I got back and nobody would. And contacted me or phoned me up um and 10 minutes 10 minutes after i said that to my nurse i got an email from one of the trade saying congratulations brendan you've won uh and uh it's probably the the, the ideal thing I, I actually won a um and i was ironing it off during the um during the trade display it was a a little portable what well, well, does have 240 volts but you can also run it off a car battery an exotic animal intensive care unit mark oh you are a winner <laughs> so by um british company vitaria you might have heard of them um yes. and um you know they're really good quality in that that's a oh, it's probably only 
you know, the site's 30 or 40 centimetres wide, so perfect for, you know, most birds, um, you know, guinea pigs, maybe a small rabbit, um, rats and mice, um, heated, um, thermostatically controlled unit. Um, so I thought... Um, Winner, winner, grinner. Um, you so are. I was, um, I was wrapped. Um, so there you go. So that was the conference, and yeah, caught up with a few people. Uh, we went out to dinner on that first night. Our our sponsors actually um, of this podcast, Mark, they took us out to dinner. Um, although our third sponsor, Specialised Animal Nutrition, Oxbow Australia, didn't attend the conference this year, um, and uh, the other the other group they. They'd booked a table for six, I think, um, and then they saw that I was hanging around, and they, I think, they felt <laughs> guilty, so they invited me. So I was the third wheel, um, the the one plus, um, even though they'd only booked for six at a restaurant that was booked out. Um, they managed to squeeze a seat for me, and uh, we had a lovely time. Um, I think we drank a little bit too much that first night. I was paying for it the, the other two days that I was there, but we had a good time. And um, many thanks to Gordon, um, who jumped up at the end and, and paid the entire bill there, Mark. Um, so it was He's fantastic. a good man, Gordon. And um, we, might have a, we might have a new sponsor um, for the podcast at some stage uh, after oh, that dinner. Yeah. So we'll, we'll chat about that in the future. So there you go, Mark. There's the conference. I think... Uh, I think we better get stuck into our um, news stories and then our main topic. And mine, it's, as I said, it's related to the conference markets, a news story about for the first time since 1977, zero, as in zilch, none, mark, no rhinos were poached in India's parks. And I think that's an amazingly good story. Is that because there's none left? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you would um, put a put, pop the balloon wouldn't you there mark no it's because they um they set out to stop an end to poaching and these protected areas mark are, um, mainly in the north um, of india often in uh, near the borders of tibet and china and and myanmar on, on the east as well and uh yeah no uh, police commando teams mark um with patrol the park um, and they have night vision equipment drones and they also put out lots more people on full moons mark it must be a time they like to the, the poachers like to get out there and um, it's it's done its trick mark um, because no no rhinos were poached since 1977 um, when they first did that um, and the numbers mark um, of rhinos have climbed from just about a hundred in 1910. A fair while ago, and so to almost three thousand today. So, yeah. So I reckon it's a really good news story, and that, how that ties in with the conference, Mark. One, one. I was, the, I was, I was struggling to see the connection. <laughs> one of the presentations, one of the lectures in the conservation biology um, sessions, was talking about um, the illegal trade in wildlife, um, and it and it touched on touched on rhinos in in. Um, in Africa, and it was um, it was interesting because the presenter who was fantastic um, was was debating whether or not um, dehorning rhinos was a positive or a negative, um, and and the jury's sort of still out with it. There was um, some really interesting sort of debates about you know um, about poaching, and just that 
oh, gee, just um, just the regulations need to be updated. CITES, um, the, 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 the um, legislation on endangered species, um, hasn't been updated for a very long time, Mark, um, and it's yeah. incredibly overdue for updating. It was scary how antiquated it is. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was was quite interesting, and you know, um, billions and billions of dollars. The the amount of money that's, um, I think, um, societies have to investigate, and and that's thrown at them as several million or several tens of millions, and yet it's billions, you know, multiple billions of dollars that um, people make on illegal wildlife trade. So you know, they need to pump more money into the preventative aspects of it and you know illegal wildlife trade is only third to three other illegal activities mark people smuggling drugs and guess what the third one is i'm trying to think i think it's guns yeah probably um as far as illegal trade yeah and then um, wildlife so there you go mark um a good news stories from a good news story from the good news network and mine, mine's a little bit of a head a headline. I'm fascinated by headlines, as you well know, Brendan. So I'm going to punch this headline out. Ancient five-foot penguin weighed as much as a gorilla. And I do think there's a stream in headlines now where units of measurement... Like gorillas. Like the weight of a gorilla um, can be associated with increased clicking online. Um, I, I think the link between this penguin and a gorilla is tenuous. <laughs> so what? But why do you reckon they close the gr- chose the gorilla to compare it to? Yeah, got, well, I think it literally, like, like even the name, uh, the scientific name, uh, Kumimanu, um, is derived from. Uh, the Aotearoa Aotearoa words for monster bird. So I don't, yeah, I don't, it's monstrous. It's very big, um, maybe a little bit over five foot and 160 kilograms of the estimated weight. It's about Um, as big as a gorilla, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, But yeah, there's probably quite a lot of things. Uh, that match up to those numbers um, and the gorilla is the one that gets the most clicks but it's three times as big as the largest penguin alive today that is um, a big bird isn't it it lived 60 million years ago in new zealand um, and uh, an incomplete skeleton that's been uh, discovered by paleontologists is it gives them an ability to estimate about a bit, little bit over five feet tall. Um, yeah, so uh, a very impressive uh, bird from the recent past. I wonder if they, um, 60 million years ago, makes me wonder whether, you know, with the dinosaurs, those, um, those events might have spelt the end. Or maybe it was, I don't know, 60 million years ago. Um, it's obviously yes. just hasn't made it past climate change associated with the cloud after the meteor. Um, well, I'm heading off to the South Island in New I Zealand next week, as you know, Mark. So do you think I'll run into one of these big fossils there? I want, I want you to keep your eye open for a fossil. I think I, I would love to see. It doesn't have to be a gorilla-sized penguin, um, <laughs> but any fossil would be nice. I will... 
send you a pick, Mark, if I find one. Excellent. So I suppose it's, is that a good news story or it's just an interesting story? It's just it? worth it's noting. That's worth noting. Worth noting. Yes. Well, I think with that, I don't have a segue into our main story this week, our main topic, Mark, and uh, we covered ferrets problems recently, but we're going to jump into another ferrets segment, and that is dental disease in ferrets, Mark. We're working and, our way around their face. Yes, that's right. We might do ophthalmology next. Um, dental disease in ferrets. Well, my summary is it's common, Mark. It's a good summary. Of... It is. We see a lot of issues with um, with ferrets and their teeth. A lot of issues. It is a very common reason to be treating ferrets, Brendan. Yes. Um, do you find your clients when they come in, like um, it's often in my experience a routine health thing. You're doing the examination for a vaccination or a routine health assessment, and you look in the mouth, and there are there's pathology. And the owners yes. often don't know. Yes, absolutely. Yes, they don't realise. And well, I think it's common with a lot of um, a lot of pets, isn't it? It is true with dogs and cats, really, isn't it? You often see dog and cat owners coming in with the, for their dog and cat vaccination, and then you flip the lid, as they as they say, and it's a um, pretty major dental disease. And gee, why do we see this, Mark? And I think it's. Um, to me, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, what these this species does in the wild. They chew, they bite, they rip, Mark. Um, they eat whole animals and they're used to ripping apart flesh and skin and bones and chewing. And what do we do in captivity? Because we're dealing with a strict carnival, um, they chew on all sorts of stuff, don't they? Duck soup. The old duck soup that just popped into my head. You remember duck soup? Yes, soup, yeah. Mark. So sick ferrets, um, you offer them duck soup. So that's one for our listeners to look up, Mark, to Google. Pull over on the side of the road and look up duck soup for <laughs> ferrets, and you'll find the some interest- pretty pretty weird, um, pretty weird recipes um, formulations for that. Yes. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so they're not chewing. So even with uh, potentially dry food, um, and we've we've covered basics of um, husbandry and recommendations for diet in in ferrets previous episodes mark but even if they are chewing on dry food they're still not massaging those teeth mark um, the same as they would be on chewing a whole animal and that's why they get dental disease so it, it is very common so we see a heap of ferrets mark with dental disease yeah, periodontitis, uh, gingivitis. Um, and I think the, it's worth mentioning too, because uh, this has happened to me a number of times. Um, as you said, those very high protein, you know, the kitten kibble type diets, um, they do go soft in the mouth of the ferret and they do provide an excellent substrate for, uh, for development of that plaque and, and subsequently tartar and then gingivitis. But the ferrets are unusual amongst our domestic animals in how fastidious they become attached to food. Like, you know, they it's often the case with a, maybe a dog or a cat that you can introduce a new food that might help them to deal with their dental issues. Yes. Ferrets, once they become familiar with a particular thing as a food, um, they often, it's often impossible. Fixated, yes. 
Yes. So, so and, getting the diet right when they're young, Brendan. Yes, and and touching on that dry food versus non-dry food mark, there has been a couple of really good studies in ferritures demonstrating that dry food or kibble has little, if any, um, impact on dental hygiene compared with wet food mark. Um, compared with, say, cats, it does seem to have some effect on helping, and I suppose they, you know, even more so if they're talking about the the dental specific dry foods in, in cats, but it doesn't seem to have any effect in ferrets, Mark. Um, no. So, so that's you, interesting. Do, do you have lots of clients who um, offer a whole prey item at some point to their ferrets? Uh, well, the most common one would be people who use their ferrets for, for rabbiting um, and that they might um, reward them with one of the rabbits that they flushed out from the burrows. But apart from that, no, not very often, Mark. What about yourself? I think it's an increasingly common thing. And I think that the changes in New South Wales, at least, um, with the legislation that allowed people to keep reptiles for, um, meant that now pet shops are, are loaded with um, prey items, uh, you know, frozen, humanely killed rodents or day-old chicks or whatever. Um, and so people have access to these things and so there is an increasing cohort of people who are supplementing the the ferrets diet with a uh a, a, a whole prey item and i think it's a good thing brendan yes yes um and that sort of leads into prevention but before we get to that we'll briefly mention treatment of them and it's doing a dental on the mark uh, is the answer to that uh just remembering that uh Ferrets don't have many teeth in there, do they, Mark? They don't have many teeth in there. 34. I said, gee, you're quick. I don't know how you do it, Mark. <laughs> um, you are amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's doing a dental workup um, and we do use the same same sort of gear um, with slight modifications, um, but the same, primarily the same sort of gear we would use for a cat. Uh, the only major um, instrument that would be different, and again, you can get away with a small cat one, but is a, there's a little ferret mouth gag mark, um, and that's quite useful. Um, it's made specifically for ferrets, and it's basically like a little know juvenile cat mouth guard i suppose but it works quite well um and the same approach to the to the um, dental that we would use in any other species we assess the teeth you ideally you know chart them all etc and um, work out which ones that may need extracting or not and and do if required and then our scale and our polish mark um one of the concerns there is they <laughs> doesn't matter what flavored polish you use mark they hate it they yes. tend to they tend to froth <laughs> at the mouth in recovery so i think that's one one comment i would make that's a little bit different with ferrets so no matter what you're doing how how will you try and flush out the um the paste after you've done the done the scale and the polish mark they um they have a pretty bad taste in their mouth i think <laughs> so prevention mark what do we do we mentioned diet, so obviously one, one option is offering whole animal, frozen thawed, uh whole animals or, or, or freshly killed, I suppose, um, prey items. What else do we do? We want to, we want to employ some of those dental chews that we use um, in other species. Um, I think, uh, once again, you've got the 
they, the ferrets have to be familiar with them from a young age, but they, um, they really do get a lot of pleasure out of uh, playing with those things and they can be excellent uh, uh, adjuncts to dental health, uh, getting them dental chews and those dental toys flavoured in such a way that they, they get um, better uh, uh, abrasion around the gingival margin, margins. Yep. And interestingly enough, they some ferrets seem to really enjoy the dental chews that have a have a have a um, pretty good reputation mark, the greenies. Um, so those green, bright fluorescent green colored dental treats or chews that are shaped like a toothbrush. I don't know why they did that, but um, but the greenies um, I find some ferrets seem to really enjoy and devour and do spend a bit of time trying to get through them. So it is massaging those those teeth and helping prevent that dental disease. Um, I mean, you're sure some ferrets absolutely will not go near them, but I think it's one one option worth trying. And what I it is say it is. It is surprising how many do go for the, how many of them, like I, I'd never expected as many would go for them that, that, that they do, but it's definitely worth having a go. What is the one thing that you say to people, Brendan? I say to them, try different things. So go out to one Just of the big pet shops. Yeah. Oh, well, I won't be that Catholic about everything, but um, try Try different chew toys. Um, go to one yeah. of the big pet barns, pet stock, pet stores, um, those huge pet supermarkets, and perhaps look along the aisle for ferrets, which there may not be any, but look along the aisle for cats and think about potentially by purchasing a few different types of cat safe chew toys, dental chews, and uh, see which ones your ferret will get used to or enjoy. And, the other ones are rec- there, yes. there, <laughs> I was going to say, um, it's, it's a bit of a paradox for me because they do froth and foam at the mouth after a dental procedure because of the taste. But I'm surprised how many ferrets accept a toothbrush, um, you know, and I think while you're there at the pet store or at your... Um, your veterinary hospital have a look at the gear they've got and if there is if there is one then it's definitely worth having a crack yes because it's surprising how many ferrets will like nuzzle up to that sort of stuff and and actually be quite start, happy to start have them. slow yep start yeah. slow just put yep. a little bit of the toothpaste on your finger and put that in the inside the gums and, and go, do that for a few days and work up from there similar to what we recommend for dogs or, or cats when we're first starting with it yeah the other ones that i've found seem to work quite well with some ferrets mark are a really meaty uh chicken neck um, oh yeah raw chicken neck or um sometimes the meaty sort of chicken chicken wings or or um and the other one is from the the butchers here in australia i don't know whether whether um, they're available readily overseas mark but um a rabbit carcass, um, you know, so rabbits that are sold for human consumption, Mark, so feed in, you know, um, the, the, the butcher often skin those and just provide the, you know, the meat and the bone for humans to make up into a rabbit stew, etc. cetera. Um, but you could ask them to keep, you know, keep um, a little bit of the skin on and, and that seems to work quite well for some some clients. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. Brendan, um, besides uh, gingivitis and periodontal disease, are there other dental conditions that you commonly see or even occasionally see with ferrets? Gee, what are you getting at here, Mark? Um, this, this, is a, this is a loaded question there. Off, 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 off topic. Is... No, I was, all I was getting at was that um, I want people to be aware that, uh, that uh, while, the, and it's a wonderful mouth to work in, the ferret's mouth to do a dental procedure and the access is great, but there often is supernumerary teeth. The small gene pool, I think, uh, yes. um, has yep. led to, so don't be surprised um, if you see uh, a few teeth extra teeth. That, yeah. So you can afford to take out a few if they've got a few extra to start yeah. with, Mark. That's exactly. My, um... and, and I've seen a few ferrets who have enamel uh, uh, hyperplasia or yeah yeah um so it's always uh just worth keeping an eye at those the small size of the teeth mean that as soon as the enamel's gone they tend to erode fairly quickly and it's it, i would consider extracting those teeth but just as part of your physical exam looking for uh, uh periodontal disease just don't be surprised to see a tooth that's maybe a little bit smaller and slightly different colored and be suspicious of enamel hyperplasia yes great point mark my final tip while you were talking there i thought of is making sure that we have that ferret intubated and um, the head um, tilted down as we're doing that dental and my tip with intubating ferrets you one, have the best tips for anesthesia with <laughs> exotic species what is your tip for intubating ferrets well one have them anesthetized before you start the intubation <laughs> and don't get bitten but two um that glottis that because sits back a long way in ferrets yeah. so i use it's a two-person job um the assistant sort of holds open the, the mouth um you could use a gag i suppose but using a gauze swab holding the tongue and pulling the tongue forward mark um as as rostral as you can and that will help expose um that um windpipe that you need to intubate um i do spray a bit of uh, local anesthetic on there mark um, to help stop any laryngospasm before i intubate and i tend to use typically i think it's a 2.0 sized non-cuffed tube i find seems to work the best yeah uh, well the other trick i find brendan is that um i'm always deceived by how long the cervical trachea is before it gets to the bifurcation and um and i always suggest that people just you know obviously do your measurement um lay your uh, your uh, endotracheal tube against your patient so you know at what point you've got to go to uh, but but definitely get into decent a decent in, distance into the the, the uh, cervical uh, trachea because um, if you stay too close up and it's uncuffed, uh, you'll you'll slide out um, as you manipulate the head around. Yeah, and yeah, that that it's it is a challenge to tie that tube in, isn't it, Mark? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because of the, the, the shape the of the head, head, everything slips off. Yeah, the head and their ears and their neck, they're all one one um size aren't one, they? one conical shape pointing yes. to the nose yes so yes so there we go um ferret dental disease a bit of an overview mark i think there's a couple little tips there um that we've we've um added in there um but um, we'd be I definitely them... keen to hear what other yes. people find with um you know if there's conditions they see in the mouth of ferrets the teeth of ferrets um always always any tips that um people find that uh, might help them 
get through those procedures or examine the ferrets? Yeah, we'd be keen to hear, but I love listening to your tips, Brendan. They, they, they make me a better vet when I hear what you're doing. Oh, thank you, mate. I find them strangely satisfying, um, dental treatments in ferrets, Mark. Um, I find them quite very, very rewarding, I would say. Um, so, and enjoyable. And I think, speaking of enjoyable, we better get out of here, Mark, and let everybody get back to their their work or their trip or their their um, their sleep if they're listening to us in bed. And I know we still have a few people like to nod off with the dulcet tones of, of Mark. So I think with that, we'll get out of here and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thanks.